But I actually want to talk about three crosses. Because I don't know whether you know this, but most of the pictures you see of Calvary have three crosses on it. And often we discard the other two because they just had criminals on them. And they deserved what they got, and so who cares? But those other two crosses were actually extremely important in the message that Jesus was trying to get across and how God actually manoeuvred the circumstances of that time to send us a message 2,000 years later about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have the cross of rejection, the cross of repentance, and the cross of redemption. And we're here to commemorate this morning the fact that Jesus was not crucified by, between two candles in a cathedral, but on a cross between two criminals on a town garbage heap. And yet, he was also crucified at a crossroads of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew, Latin and Greek to ensure that everybody would be able to identify him. It was also the kind of place where cynics talk smut, and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. And because that's where he died and that's what he died about, this is what the church should be like today. We should be out in the marketplace, the halls of government and the community of the worldly. Jesus Christ was treated as if he was no better than a violent criminal and he was made a spectacle of shame. The soldiers mocked him, they beat him, spat on him, slammed a crown of thorns on his head and stripped him to inflict even more shame. He was whipped and beaten and his beard was plucked out. The Bible says that passers-by also mocked him and hurled insults at him. Then the chief priests, the elders and the scribes all joined in the mockery. The mockers were all in unison as they banded together to defame, denounce and to destroy an innocent man. But he was not alone. Jesus was chosen to die on that day some 2,000 years ago and a violent murderer was allowed to go free. The Bible tells us that two others were to make that journey with Christ on that day. In Luke 23 it tells us two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, wonderful place to be crucified, they nailed him to a cross and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And these three crosses represent every person that has ever been born. The cross in the middle held the saviour of the world, and it was the cross of redemption. The cross on either side represents the eternal destiny of the whole world. On one side we find the cross of doubt and rejection. And many people today align themselves with this cross. The cross on the other side represents those who are willing to believe by faith. Matthew 27 paints the picture for us. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests, the teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him 
ridiculed him in the same way. Revolutionaries, you say. Hang on, I thought they were criminals. Stay tuned. Let's look at the first cross, the cross of rejection. So Mark, we read earlier, refers to this man as a criminal, but Matthew calls him a revolutionary or a rebel. And the word he uses means a robber, a plunderer, a freebooter, or a brigand. Aren't they lovely words? These men had actually been part of a rebellion against Roman rule. But as most rebellions against Roman rule at the time went, it all went very badly. And so they degenerated from attacking Romans to becoming a band of thieves and murderers preying on their own people as much as the Romans. And interestingly, when Pilate earlier in the day had asked whether to release Jesus or another prisoner, we read this in Mark. It says in Mark 15, one of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. Now there's no actual proof of this, but there's a good reason to believe that Barabbas was actually the leader of the band that the other two thieves crucified next to Jesus were part of. It seems that his name was well known among the Jews and Pilate assumed, because of the atrocities he'd committed, that they'd rather see Barabbas die and Jesus would be released. It didn't happen that way. So this first cross we're looking at has the body of a professional criminal hardened to the core because of his lifestyle. If you look closely, you can probably see a glimpse of every terrible person that's ever lived hanging on that cross. In reality, that cross could have been made for any one of us because we're all sinners. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, I don't, I'm not sure we can adequately describe without making people physically ill what happened on that hill. But we do know that God regarded his own son as a sinner amongst the others there. The sin of the world was placed upon him as he hung there between two other genuinely sinful men. And as God looked down at those three crosses and he sees the murderous brigands and he takes an accurate assessment of the situation, he counted Christ to be among the sinners. It was not that Christ had sinned, but in that moment he'd taken on all our sin. In Luke 23, it says one of the criminals, and this is, you've got to admit, this, this is a guy, nails in his hands and feet, in incredible pain, and somehow he takes the time to say this. It says one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. I don't see how you scoff when you're nailed to a cross. He says, so you are the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And by the way, save us as well while you're at it. And you see, that this man, although he was about to die, was caught up in the moment of mockery and blasphemy, and he made a foolish assessment about Jesus. He displayed his unbelief and doubt while hanging there in agony, which shows you how powerful this moment was, the, how infectious the hatred was. The condemned men used their energy, what little they had left, for mockery. So this thief, in one foolish, fleeting gesture, doomed himself. He flippantly mocked the only person there who could have saved his soul. The second cross is the cross of repentance. And you may have noticed, and I hope you've noticed, that the, in, in the different accounts of Matthew and Mark, we've got one that says both of the criminals were mocking Jesus, and one that says only one 
was mocking Jesus. Why is that? Well, it's a matter of timing. Both of them initially were mocking Jesus, but then something, something changed. One of the criminals was engrossed in his sinfulness and wanted to hurl abuse and pain at Jesus. The other man had an epiphany. Something inside him could not deny that the man hanging next to him was different. The entire world seemed to be out to kill this man, but he refused to fight back. This criminal, though he was dying, could not eliminate that inner voice that was telling him Jesus was the real deal. He was inches from death, but so close to heaven and salvation. Hopefully we can find something in common with this man. Jesus is the object of blasphemy and ridicule from everyone around him, but suddenly this one man has a change of heart. Luke 23, 40 says, The other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? even when you've been sentenced to die. So he now rebukes his partner in crime. He leans across and turns on him and in a matter of moments goes from blaspheming Christ to defending him. He suddenly finds himself filled with a real and reverential fear. An unseen transformation has taken place in this man's heart. He realises that Christ isn't worthy of the punishment being administered. Even as he recognises that he himself is guilty and should be paying the price for his crime. Verse 41 says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And in that moment, he makes an incredibly cheeky and audacious request of Jesus. He says, Jesus, in Luke 23, 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, how cheeky is that? He's a criminal hanging on a cross admitting he deserves to die, and then turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus responds with an even more audacious promise. He actually promises him salvation. Verse 43 says, Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. See, salvation is a miracle, and none of us can truly explain how someone can go from being a devout critic to a diligent Christian just like that. The man was facing turmoil in his soul and he listened to that small inner voice that told him Christ was real. And he merely believed. On this second cross, we see a divine miracle take place. For it was on that cross that a terrible sinner became a victorious saint. The third cross, the big cross, the cross of redemption, it wouldn't have mattered who Pilate chose out of Barabbas and Jesus to be on that cross because no matter who he had chosen, Jesus would have hung on that cross. Do you know why? Who knows what Barabbas' first name was? Who can guess what Barabbas' first name was? Matthew 27, 17. When the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? How weird is that? Jesus was going to be hanging on that cross no matter what Pilate decided. And interestingly enough, a man called Jesus, who was the polar opposite of Jesus the Messiah, a man who had been judged legally condemned for the crimes he'd committed, who deserved death, death and could do nothing to free himself from his punishment 
was the only man in history who could actually say that Jesus physically replaced him in his place of punishment. And his name was Jesus too. Weird. But unlike Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, who got a temporal salvation. I mean, Jesus just saved him from his punishment. But the guy on that cross, when he asked Jesus for salvation, Jesus actually assured him that he would be with him in paradise. The word was literally, truly, truly, emphasizing that his word was truthful. Grace at its best assured this man not just of salvation, but of eternal salvation. He didn't just rescue him on the spot, he rescued him for eternity. Barabbas was just rescued on the spot. And he might have been grateful, we don't know whether he was grateful. But his eternal salvation was not guaranteed. This man had his salvation made eternal. See, every believer who trusts in Jesus by faith knows that Jesus has made that same offer to us. Every single one of us deserves condemnation, judgment, and an eternal place in hell. But the gospel tells us that Jesus bore our sins and absorbed the wrath of God. He became our substitute that day, just as he did physically for Barabbas and spiritually for that second criminal on the cross. So on the first cross, we see a sinner rejecting God. On the second cross, we see a sinner requesting salvation. And on the third cross, we see our Savior redeeming. There's no better assurance than to, to know that when a non-believer comes to God and truly believes that at that very moment they become a child of God. The cross in the middle was special. The transaction that was taking there was holy and sacred. The atoning work of Christ was an unseen transaction that was only visible to God his Father in heaven. As his son was hanging on that cross, God took the sins of that criminal the sins of the entire world and place them on his sinless son. The second thief realized that he was a vile and wicked sinner, but he also recognized that the man on the middle cross had the ability to save his soul. The cross in the middle and the man who is hanging on that cross is worthy of our attention today. He's actually waiting for our decision regarding him. Still, he came, away to take, he came to take away the sin of the world and that's exactly what happened. And he offers us exactly the same deal that he offered the criminals hanging next to him. And we have exactly the same opportunity to make one response or the other. And today, Good Friday, I believe is a great time as we come about the story of Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection to look into our hearts, to look into our spirits and say, what do I know about this Jesus? How does he impact my life? Because he died for the sins of the world. Now, who here is part of the world? Most of us living, I hope. 
Jesus, that means Jesus died for my sins. He died for your sins. And today he issues an invitation every minute of every day that we can accept and say, yes, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour and become a child of God. And so I want to offer all of us this morning that opportunity. If you're here and you've never accepted the offer of Jesus to become a child of God, never asked Jesus to come into your heart, I would love to give you that opportunity. If you've done it before, but you know that you're far away from Jesus, you're still in that position of the guy on the first cross, but you'd like to change and become the guy on the second cross again. And it doesn't matter how often we make that transition, God is always waiting, prepared to receive us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. And if either of those situations matches yours this morning, I just want you to raise your hand when I ask you to so that I can see it. I'll acknowledge it and ask you to put it back down. And then we'll stand together and we'll pray a prayer asking Jesus to come into our lives. So has everybody got their heads bowed and their eyes closed? If that's you this morning, just raise your hand right now, nice and high, so that I can see it. And I'll acknowledge that. We'll pray together to ask Jesus into your life. Anyone at all. Awesome. Can I ask you to open your eyes, stand to your feet? I don't do this every Sunday, but as it's, it's Good Friday, I think it's a great, great thing to do. To actually, all of us, to reiterate our faith in our God and actually pray that prayer of salvation to let God know that we are His. So can I ask you to repeat this prayer after me? Dear Lord Jesus, my life today is changed because of you. I make a fresh decision that my old life is gone and today I take, I take on a new life. I proclaim you as my Lord and Saviour. I will follow you from this day forth as a child of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.